The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. The nuns in The Sound of Music faced a dilemma. They were confronted by the extraordinary personality of a young postulant named Maria who just didn't seem to fit into their way of life. The nuns deliberated about her in the song, How Do You Solve a Problem Like Maria? Well, there are plenty of Christians today who have the same confusion about the nation of Israel. And how do we solve this problem? What are we supposed to do with this reality? They seem to have a spiritual blind spot when it comes to the Jewish state. And many in the churches have hardened their hearts toward Israel and the Jewish people. Many so-called Christians have come dangerously close to becoming anti-Semites, if not openly so. Hello, I'm Christine Darg, watching as ever upon the walls of Jerusalem and praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Before the second coming of the Messiah, the Bible makes it clear that Jesus has been interceding in heaven until the fullness of the Gentiles from all the nations completes the church age, which is fast coming to an end. Meanwhile, Israel is being prepared for her national salvation, and therefore the Jewish state is always prominent in the news. Yet one of the most disturbing developments for me as a watcher on the walls is the number of professing Christians who don't believe or even perceive that the modern state of Israel is in fact a fulfillment of prophecy. Many professing Christians are even opposing Israel. Now don't get me wrong, God loves the Arabs and he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should repent and come to a knowledge of the truth. But for churches to take stances against the state of Israel comes dangerously close to resisting God and fighting against the fulfillment of end-time prophecy. Many of us watchmen on the walls have been shocked at the number of Christian denominations that have become embroiled in the era of the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement known as BDS against the Jewish state. Members of these same denominations would no doubt admit that one of the most famous preachers in the history of the church was Charles Spurgeon, who lived in the 19th century. Today, Spurgeon is known as the Prince of Preachers. He was pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. He died in 1892, but still remains highly influential among Christians of many denominations. He was a prolific author and his sermons are still studied. And from his study of the Bible, Spurgeon knew that the state of Israel would exist again and that it would be a political entity before it would be revived and experience a national salvation. In fact, I was very glad recently to read one of Spurgeon's sermons that he preached on the prophetic chapter 37 of Ezekiel the vision of the valley of the dry bones. Spurgeon anticipated the restoration of the Jews to the promised land. And although he died almost 50 years before the modern state of Israel was founded, he believed it would happen 
purely based upon this word of God. In fact, many leaders in the 19th century, both Jewish and Christian, had vision for a revived Jewish state based upon the promises preserved in God's word. In 1818, for example, the President of the United States, John Adams, wrote that he envisioned the Jews living again in Judea as an independent nation. In 1844, George Bush, an ancestor of the President's Bush, was a professor of Hebrew at New York University. He published a book entitled, The Tri-Bones of Israel Revived. He denounced oppression, which has so long ground the Jews into the dust, and he called for allowing the Jews to be restored to the land of Israel. American novelist Herman Melville wrote an epic poem called Chlorel about a pilgrimage in the Holy Land with a the theme of restoring and reinstating the Hebrews. But now that we've had the modern state of Israel as a fulfillment of prophecy for nearly 70 years, and that's a biblical generation, why is it so difficult for various church denominations to understand that God is clearly favoring the return of the Jewish people to their land in this hour? I appreciate the fact that Charles Spurgeon was convinced purely by studying the Word of God that the Jews would be restored to their land and they'd be reinstated into God's favor. In his sermon in 1864 at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, based upon Ezekiel 37, Spurgeon predicted that there would first be a political restoration and then a national restoration. Spurgeon used the word political. And then secondly, he understood clearly from Ezekiel 37 that all the tribes of Israel would enjoy a spiritual In fact, in Ezekiel 37, we have a most remarkable prophecy about the resurrection of the Jewish people in the Jewish state. And these verses might not be stolen by the church to apply only to churches. Such thievery would do violence to the text. As I've often said in these broadcasts, and many Bible scholars agree, we must let Israel be Israel and let the church be the church. Then we can correctly understand the scriptures. Starting with verse 1 of Ezekiel, the prophet said, The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit and set me down in a valley full of dry bones scattered all around. And there were many and they were very dry. In other words, these bones were as dead as dead can be. And God said to Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? I like Ezekiel's answer. He was very careful not to voice any doubt or unbelief about what the Almighty can do. So he turned the question back to God saying, O Lord God, you know. So God commanded him, prophesy upon these bones and tell them, O you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. God said he would put muscles upon the bones and cover them with flesh and put breath into them again. And then he said, you shall know that I am the Lord. So without doubt or hesitation, 
Ezekiel did exactly as he was told, and he prophesied as he was commanded. And behold, there was a noise and a shaking, and the bones rattled as they came together, bone to its bone. This passage teaches us that it's no problem for the Spirit of God instantly to sort out the DNA in scattered bones to reconnect them. And this reminds me of a passage in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul prophesied that when the Lord descends in the atmosphere to call us out, in the twinkling of an eye, in an instant, the dead in Christ shall be raised, and those of us who are alive shall be instantly changed from mortals into immortals. And then God commanded Ezekiel, prophesy unto the wind. And here in the Hebrew text, wind is ruach, meaning also spirit. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the ruach, say to the spirit, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. This passage also reminds me of Acts chapter 2 in the upper room in Jerusalem where the disciples were praying and there came the sound of a mighty rushing wind on the day of Pentecost and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So Ezekiel prophesied as he was commanded and the breath of God came into the reconstituted corpses and they lived standing up, becoming an exceeding great army. How many times have these verses been applied to the church? I've heard sermon after sermon in my lifetime about some denomination being brought back to life through a revival using these verses. But God was talking about the people of Israel and them alone. He said in verse 11, these bones or the whole house of Israel, not the church. Verse 11 says, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. Our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. So I was very happy that a 19th century preacher like Charles Spurgeon knew this chapter concerned the Jewish people. Verse 11 even refers indirectly to Israel's national anthem, Hatikva, meaning the hope. Because verse 11 says, our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. This was a prophecy, no doubt, including the Holocaust. But Spurgeon understood from the text that there was to be a political restoration of the Jews. And in Spurgeon's day, Israel was still blotted out from the world map of nations, and the Jewish people were scattered around the globe. But Spurgeon and many Bible-believing preachers knew Israel would be restored as from the dead. And it would happen when the people had given up all hope of survival. Does this not describe the Holocaust? The Valley of Dry Bones, the loss of hope? But then, according to the prophecy, God would appear on the scene and reconstitute Israel's scattered bones. God would bring them miraculously together again into a political body with an army. In 1864, Spurgeon preached that such a state would be revived. Both the text and the context of Ezekiel 37 promised this. 
And yet we hear preachers today saying that Israel with its army is just a political anomaly. But verse 23 says, They shall be my people, and I will be their God, and they will no longer be defiled by idols. Well, that's already happened. The Jewish people were weaned long ago from the worship of images. Idols are forbidden in Judaism, and they take great pains in Jewish communities to shun idolatry, such as statues and so forth. Instead, one might say, the Jewish people have become focused upon traditions. But God promises that in the revival to come, Israel will love God above their traditions and worship their God in spirit and in truth. The text promises, they shall be my people and I'll be their God. Israel will come into covenant relationship with God. For in verse 26 of Ezekiel 37, God says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. That's beginning to happen now. Well, we've seen nearly 70 years of a new Jewish state with a miraculous revival of Hebrew, not just as a sacred tongue, but as a living language. And now we wonder, how will God bring about the spiritual restoration of Israel? We don't doubt for a moment that he'll do it because we've already seen the fulfillment of so many prophecies. The God of Israel will be faithful to complete and finish his work. And Spurgeon observed that there are two kinds of prophesying spoken of in Ezekiel 37. First, Ezekiel preached to the bones. He prophesied. That corresponds to speaking this word of the Lord. But next, he prophesied to the four winds. And that action corresponds to prayer. Prayer achieves the revival because after the prophet prophesied to the four winds, to the Ruach, to the Spirit, then the bones began to live. And so our part is to preach the word and pray God's word. Cry out before the throne of God day and night for the completion of the miracle. Come from the four winds, O breath of God, and breathe upon these slain that they may live in Israel. That's the cry of the true intercessor. That's the CPR of the intercessor, mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation of the nation of Israel. That is the cry of the watchman upon the walls. And we will see greater things if we'll only believe, because all things are possible to him that believes. And so let's not slow down the work of God due to unbelief. Let's not restrain the divine energy by resisting and fighting God in restoring Israel. The nations and politicians, unfortunately, continue to resist God's plans. They want to impose solutions upon the Arab-Israeli conflict rather than looking to the Word of God. And in the book of Joel, God rebukes all who dare to part what God says is my land. God claims the Holy Land for himself as my land. God foresaw political leaders living in the end times who would dare to carve up the Holy Land. Let's look at Joel chapter 3 and 
verses 1 to 2. For behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, God says, I will also gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered amongst the nations. And God says, part it, partitioned my land. So you see, this verse clearly says that God himself, not the Jews, not the nations, not the Muslims, God himself claims ultimate ownership of the land of Israel. And he's the one alone who can make the final decision on who leases it. He leased the land to the Jewish people. But even the Israelis don't have authority from God to negotiate it away. The fact that a two-state imposition is continually pushed is a sign that end-time Bible prophecy is coming to pass. The result of any man-made solution that's imposed on the Holy Land will be, uh, in God's sight, the cause of terrible consequences. In fact, the division of God's land will trigger end-time events exponentially and horrific judgments from the God of Israel will happen. The only biblical solution ultimately will be the regime of true peace led by the Prince of Peace, King Messiah, when he returns to Jerusalem as the sovereign Savior, Jesus, Yeshua, under whom all peoples will live in harmony and brotherhood. That's why Psalm 122 commands us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem under King Messiah's ultimate rule. When we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we keep God's city close to our hearts. Psalm 122 promises that those who love Jerusalem shall prosper. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say, peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek Jerusalem's good. Moreover, in Isaiah 19, God's intended confederacy for the region is clearly stated. He promises to heal Egypt, whom he calls my people, and to restore Assyria, ancient Ashur, whom he calls the work of my hands and bring those nations into confederation with Israel, whom God calls my inheritance. That's the Messianic League that God in heaven foresees and prophesies in Isaiah 19. And verse 24 says it's going to be a blessing in the midst of the earth. This confederacy that God envisions will be the ultimate restoration of brotherhood in the Middle East. The Hebrew scriptures present to us a king and not just a human king, but a divine king, King Messiah, King Emmanuel, meaning God in the flesh, God with us. Do you know that there are more than 300 specific prophecies in the Hebrew Bible fulfilled by the Lord Jesus, Yeshua, Hamashiach, his name in Hebrew? Every facet of his life was covered in the prophecies in the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible. Jeremiah 31, 16 prophesies to Israel. This is what the Lord says. 
Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded. And this is the Lord's declaration. Your children will return from the enemy's land. And the next verse 17 says, And there is hope for your descendants, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own border. You see, through the prophet Jeremiah, God was saying that even though he punished Israel for their sins, their tears wouldn't last forever, for he would bring them back, not only from Babylon, but ultimately from all the nations. God is saying even now to the Jewish people, you have a right to weep because of your sad history, but you will stop weeping because I'm going to redeem your children back to your land. Rachel, the mother of Israel, wept for her children, and she's a symbol of the weeping mothers throughout the history of God's people as her sons and daughters were deported or slaughtered. In fact, Rachel is the quintessential mother of Israel, not only because she was Jacob's most cherished wife, but because from her womb she bore Joseph, who became the patriarch of the northern kingdom of Israel. But Rachel also bore Benjamin, and Benjamin became identified with Judah, the southern kingdom. Rachel is the one who in the book of Genesis cried out, Give me children or I die. And for these reasons, metaphorically, it's Rachel who weeps for her children whenever, through the history of Israel, there has been doom, disaster, pogroms, the slaughter of the innocents in Bethlehem, and ultimately the Holocaust. She is the symbol of the weeping mothers of God's people. In Israel's history, there have been rivers of tears, lamentation. Jesus foresaw it and wept over Jerusalem. But at the same time, Jeremiah prophesied hope because the prophets and Jesus all knew that one day a remnant would return. God promised to regather and save the whole nation. He will bring them back to the land of Israel and this time they will behold and receive their Messiah. The prophet Zechariah foretold it, and Zechariah foresaw one last weeping. They're going to look upon him whom they pierced, and they're going to mourn for him as they mourn an only son. And there's going to be salvation again in the nation of Israel. But after this, Rachel won't need to weep anymore. Rachel's mourning will be turned into dancing as Paul foresaw it in Romans chapter 11, all of Israel shall be saved. Jeremiah prophesied, don't keep weeping because it's going to turn around. It's going to end up in Israel's salvation. Aren't you glad that God is a covenant-keeping God and He's keeping His promises even as I speak to the Jewish people and to the nation of Israel? Weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And whatever situation you are in that causes you to weep, know that there's going to be a turnaround. There's still hope. There's still salvation and deliverance to come, if we faint not. 
Well now, we've spent some time together talking about the fulfillment of the amazing prophecy about the dry bones and the resurrection of the Jewish people in our day. And so the healing aspect of our ministry is always stirring and striving in me to put our faith out there to touch yours, that you may be restored and healed in whatever areas you're struggling with. Because in this life, all of us are struggling daily with issues of various kinds until Jesus comes. For some, it will be the agony over an unsaved relative who's far from God. For example, this week we were ministering in a church where a woman requested prayer for a cousin who's dying of cancer and who she said is unfortunately a perpetual liar. She was concerned about his eternal salvation as well as his healing. Because the Word of God says in Revelation 21.8 that all liars will be confined to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And so we prayed and remitted his sins according to John 20.23. 20, but many others are struggling with health issues. And within the past 24 hours, I've been in the company of at least two believers who are well grounded in God, yet they confess with their mouths weakness in their knees as if that's their lot for the rest of their lives. But what about the Lord, our healer? What about the Lord, our sustainer? When I hear believers talking like that, I have to turn to the Bible promise, one of my favorites, Deuteronomy 33:25 which says, as your days, so your strength shall be. In other words, your strength will equal your days if you have faith to appropriate that word. Also, Psalm 103 verse 5 promises the renewal of our youth as the eagles. And I believe this healing virtue includes the strength of our skeletons it includes all sorts of bodily strength, not just our bones, but everything so that we can keep on going, serving the Lord with youthful vigor. Trust in the Lord, your healer, then your dry bones will live. Let him make your bones supple and flourish. Withered arm be stretched out, as the gospel proclaims, if you can believe it. Let even the lame leap, let blind eyes be opened and dry bones live. For these are some of the most prophetic days ever in the culmination of the history of the church and the excitement of the times in which we live should invigorate all of us and help us to believe and realize and appropriate promises because we're seeing things in Israel that the prophets longed to see, but they died before these momentous times. This week somebody emailed me to say that she wanted to receive our newsletter because we're like-minded and I liked that. And so I'd like to invite you to stay in touch through social media and through our website at exploits.tv where you can click online to receive our electronic newsletter, Exploits. The Bible says that people who know God will be strong and carry out exploits. And at our website, all of our previous videos are available for viewing around the clock, as well as an archive of spiritual articles.
And you can download our free Jerusalem Channel app from your favorite app store so you can watch our videos at any time on your mobile phones or tablets. The app also gives you daily Bible readings and details of our upcoming events. And we post prayer points twice a week at our website to help you be an effective watchman on the walls. And so always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Darig, Maranatha, and Shalom. You can watch our Jerusalem Channel programs on Roku, Apple TV, Amazon Fire, YouTube, and of course by checking out our website. But now you can also download the free Jerusalem Channel app to watch our Bible teachings on your mobile phone or your tablet. The app also has the complete Bible and a daily Bible reading plan to enjoy God's Word in a simple outline of the Old and New Testament. There's also an app link to help you support this ministry where you can make a one-off or a recurring monthly donation. So please look for the Jerusalem Channel app in your favorite app store and take the Jerusalem Channel wherever you go. The Apostle Paul gave us the inspiring imagery of running a good race in life, much as these 3,000 participants in the annual Jerusalem Marathon. Lots of things are happening these days in Israel's ancient capital, and we're here with the Jerusalem Channel to keep you informed of the fast-paced events and news through our daily website updates and regular video reports and biblical teachings. To continue this viewer-supported ministry, we need your help. Please become a part of the Jerusalem Channel by donating. Just click the Donate button on our website to give by credit or debit card. You can also donate by check to our U.S. address or our U.K. post office box. We're here to anticipate that one day soon we'll witness thousands running joyfully through the streets of the Holy City to welcome King Messiah.